in this episode. I'm going to give you a huge budget. I love that guy. I, he's in, yeah, he's definitely unhinged, but I love him. And you are tasked with where you can go make a new Star Trek series. I have to date never really wanted to be part of a Starship crew on Star Trek. That's kind of like reading the Necronomicon. That way madness lies. Uh, no, I think they want to make lots of money from it, and there's a feeling that it might be bankable. Yeah, back to Star Trek, everybody. Star- uh, um, it, it can be about whatever you like. Star Trek Disco. The Star Trek for people who don't like Star Trek. Um, but the, but the, the good thing about Star Trek fans is even when they utterly detest something, they will still watch it. Ah, the replicator will make more Derry triangles. Oh, and for photon torpedoes. But mostly Derry Lee triangles. It, it's just kind of... Uh, no, man, you should totally go and see this. is actually really good everyone kind of felt like they had to do that Uh, and so they did yay we had an unexpected success now we have to scramble like bilio to get a sequel made so it's like uh, uh, and now your head has exploded new star trek one new star trek two new star trek three bless my mum she gives me the box set for my birthdays that's your new star trek trilogy we're going home now thanks a lot uh you don't have to go home but you can't stay here please don't drink and drive Look around. Can you form some sort of rudimentary lay? Gentlemen, we have a problem. Uh, well, it's 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 a franchise, Jim, but not as we know it. Let's discuss Star Trek. That's good. Uh, welcome to Star Trek is Screwed. We are the 80s kids, and uh, today there are only two of us. This is one of those two 80s kids episodes, uh, and this is an episode that's been kicking around in our bag of problems for quite some time, and we're going, we've gone with uh, Ian's original suggested title for this episode, Star Trek is Screwed. Uh, is Star Trek screwed? I mean, I guess... Well, the... At, at the time of writing that idea, it was because we had the Abrams movies, um, only two of those. Uh, that was my lament at the time. Now we have we have a whole new complexity to the problem to to contend with, which is why I thought, yeah, this is definitely one we need to talk about right now. And around about we we you out there in listener land will have got to the end of Discovery, and so we've discovered all of the first season of Discovery. We at the time of recording haven't quite got to the end of Discovery, but I have watched up to the mid-season break, and then I'm just waiting for the rest of it to accumulate before ploughing on. Uh, But uh, I guess, really, now we're talking about the now, and in a broader context, in order to be able to discuss the screwedness or otherwise of Star Trek, we have to start with the tricky question, which is, what is Star Trek? Ian, what is Star Trek? Well, you know, you've got to go back to the source text of the original series, which started this whole thing on, 
and and was so good at not being on television for X number of years wouldn't stop it. It just had to come back. Um, and I suppose the quintessential classic episode of Star Trek, it's a future. Uh, technology has removed all the problems from society. Humans are really cool now and we live with aliens and it's great in space. And we're exploring and we're having adventures. And by exploring, we go somewhere. Something interesting is happening. And, and then within the space episode with the characters we, we like and love hanging around together with each other, even when they bicker like only friends can, uh, they solve some problem uh, and then they sail off. And the cap and there's some sort of moral, there's a lot of moral message to Star Trek, but it's, it's not always preachy. I, I think that that was it resonated. The optimism of science fiction from the 60s, we just don't get that these days. Weirdly, as you relay that to me, I must also bring forth the concept that if Star Trek is screwed, we can find proof and evidence of this screwedness in the latter-day fortunes of the Fantastic Four. For what you have described is essentially the core of that particular comic book series, that that was a 60s science adventure comic book. Yeah, okay, Doctor Doom, whatever. There's a villain, and there were villains. It was a superhero genre, so they had to have something that was an antagonist. But the core of what the Fantastic Four is about, and people have toyed with this in the comic book over the time, is that they are a family, and they bicker amongst themselves, and sometimes the problems are caused by other members of the family. But essentially, Reed Richards is the big brain scientist, and that means that the adventures are scientific and that they solve them as a family. And look at what's happened to them. It's much easier for a single human being to contain in their head the horror of what has befallen the Fantastic Four, except now it's been sold back to Disney so everything's going to be all right, okay? Uh, but yeah, up until this point, what's happened there? I think we could probably say the similar sorts of things have happened to Star Trek. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, I mean, it's it's... I mean, I think Star Trek, the problem with Star Trek is a multifaceted one. I mean, we have a lovely series of bullet points to work through on our notes. And as I read them, I was like, well, it, it, we're going to jump around a bit because these are all kind of interconnected in a wibbly-wobbly kind of way. Um, uh, to, to kind of talk about what the basic format was, <clears throat> and Next Generation continued it. It took a while to find its feet. But when, it, when Star Trek Next Gen did find its feet, I think it, it went in lovely strides and is a very important part of my, of my uh, life as a science fiction fan. But the whole kind of we go some, I mean, Star Trek did have stories where there was action. There was occasionally stories where they'd find some Romulans and have to have a submarine episode trying to hunt them down. But principally, uh, villains aren't necessarily what Star Trek is about. Problems are what Star Trek is about. Puzzles is what Star Trek is about. They go somewhere, they don't know what the rules are, and they have to figure out what's up. And usually it's in the same computer uh, buried in the center of the planet. But regardless, you know, they had to figure out what was going on and come up with a solution. And, and, you know, we had that lovely trinity of Kirk, Spock, McCoy, with, with Kirk being the decider. And you had um, Spock, who was highly uh, logical, and McCoy, who was highly emotional, sort of just discussing the, any moralities that were going on uh, at the time. And Kirk would make a decision and everyone would go with it. And Kirk was always right. Uh, but the thing is, we, we, we did that series, Next Gen did it, and Voyager was basically Next Gen with new actors because contracts. Uh, and in some regards, it's like I kind of feel the let's wander off and have an adventure format 
is utterly exhausted. As much as I love it, it's been done. My God, it's been done for literally 20 seasons worth of stories. Oh, I suppose, I suppose Enterprise was kind of the same thing as well. It was, it was slightly different. There was all arcs going on there. Um, Deep Space Nine is different because it was set in one place. So definitively arcs and developing social political, you know, the, the politics and characters developing around you in the peripheries is an important thing. But next gen was always, it's a new, it's a new place. It's a new place each week. Uh, and even though the Orville's come back, we see we're jumping ahead in our, in our, in our bullet points already. Even though the Orville is now here and apparently a lot of Star Trek fans are, are leaning towards this going, this is a spiritual Star Trek series. We've always wanted to come back. And I believe them when they say that because Orville is so next gen. Uh, in some ways, though, if this was a next-gen series, if this was a proper Star Trek series with higher production values and everything else thrown at it, it's like I would kind of feel like, mm, I don't know, man. I don't know. Is it kind of done? Is, 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 have, we, have you beaten this horse as much as we can? Have you, have you done all the variations of the story? Have we go somewhere and something's going up and there's a puzzle and we have to solve it? Have we done all the variations of those things that we can do? It was fresh in the 60s when science fiction stories were, were in vogue, but these days... I think that, though, in a way, it's not about that particular thing. I mean, you know, I can take you back, and indeed will, to the idea that there are only three, seven, whatever stories, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but even bearing that in mind, I mean, people still go crazy for, oh, look, there's a dead body. Wonder who did that, you know, as a story. Uh, I mean, that that's that's a thing that's still to this day. It's fine. People will come in and see that. There are big fans of that. And there's, uh, wow, I don't like this guy, but at the same time, I want to shag him. Books get sold on a daily basis. Uh, that's all about the, that kind of thing. So it, the idea that, it, oh, there's a puzzle, or, or there's an adventure, and we see some phenomenon, we have to solve what that phenomenon is, that can't be over. That really can't. But I think you are correct in the idea that you need people to bring new perspectives to it. And I do think, because by the same token, Red Dwarf is like a sort of offshoot of Star Trek because they, it's a variant where it's like, well, none of these people want to have adventures. None of these people want to go. They all just want whatever they want in a sitcom way. But they are forced to, because of their situation, they're forced to deal with things. Uh, and the writers of Red Dwarf initially, I don't know how it's going these days because now it's on Dave. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not the kind of person who sits down every week to watch something. And if I can't just stream it on a streaming service, I'm not going to bother. So I haven't. Oh, bless my mum. She gives me the box set for my birthdays. Oh, right. OK. But, you know, they made sure that this feckless crew of people who weren't really interested in whatever the puzzle was as yes. long as it wasn't trying to kill them wibbly thing alert was there's like a joke we could all relate to in, in red dwarf yeah exactly it that is they tried i think they were painfully aware that the crew didn't really care that unless the thing was going to try and kill them or try and stop them getting the thing that was the the motivation for their character or and of course some problem like that the, the people basically wouldn't do anything. And so in the beginning, in a blind panic, they ideated all this uh, original material. And then after a while, it became a routine, and then it became what Red Dwarf is now. I, I suppose the other quintessential thing uh, for the fans that they loved about Star Trek in its, in its various iterations is that it was also, because it was a utopia, 
uh, and because it, this was a very fleshed out crew, in, in some ways, I've, as I've always said, the good series are ones where you want to be part of the gang, and you want to be part of the gang in Next Gen, um, Star Trek original series. You you so wanted to be a member of that crew and pitch in with them and help. You were with them on the journey, um, and I think you know it, it's where am I going with that point? I think I think it's it's is it just me? Is the fact that I've simply accumulated too much Star Trek? Is that the issue then, or what? I mean, people have said no one no one's particularly nice in Discovery. This could be an issue. Well, we'll, think, we'll get on to I, new I think, Star Trek. Yeah, I think soon. everyone wants I think everyone wants to live in the Orville universe as Star Trek fan because they can suddenly it's it's this family and this crew and this ship and this order. Uh, and a, a big thing to belong to because Starfleet's a big thing. It's got big overarching regulations you must conform to. Um, and, and guide, you know, when, when, when those characters go with me to new civilization, they are ambassadors and act as such. Um, so, you know, there's, there's service to a bigger, a bigger community as well. And it's principles and togetherness and goodness and all those things that we don't seem to have very much in TV programs these days. I guess I haven't. I guess I have an advantage in my Star Trek consumption, therefore, in that I have to date never really wanted to be part of a Starship crew on Star Trek. That's not to say I can't sympathise with what you say, because uh, I did want to be part of the Scooby gang in Buffy, and I did also want to be part of the SG-1 team uh, and Atlantis 2, that's fine. So I have had that experience, just not with Star Trek. So when I come to consume Star Trek, my question is, is it the... Where my Star Trek joy is, is when it feels like a comfortable pair of slippers. I'm watching a pair of... an episode of Star Trek, I'm like, yes, it's giving me enough to think about that I am entertained on that intellectual basis. It's flashy and science fiction-y just enough, like with that little smattering of uh, of production value, that I'm thinking that my bored part of my brain, the uh, lizard part of my brain, is satisfied at the sparkle. Um, and But there's nothing... That is, it's not new BSG. It's where they're going to go. Now you must engage with these weighty topics. I don't. That's. I don't want that. That's not. That's not what it's about for me, at all. Uh, so that's what for me. And I guess this is the. This is where the, the answer. The next question. Another one of my famous elephant trap questions. When was peak Star Trek? And the answer is obviously going to be different for everyone. Uh, and I would say that peak Star Trek for me personally would have been when Voyager kind of cast off the shackles of being more serious. And in the episodes where it was good and you just kind of sat back and went, ah, there we go. I'm watching this and I'm I'm just in, immersed in the Star Trekness of it all. And then the problem with that on the reverse side is that sometimes it was just a bit rubbish. So, <laughs> in fact, you know, it was a sort of 50-50 split. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's... For me, though, yeah. the best parts are where you just get into an episode of Star Trek and you're immersed in Star Trekness for an hour, and then you go, that was great, and you move on with your life. Well, you know, um, I don't want to give the impression of you being replaced by an alien, uh, but there is such a thing as too much Doctor Who. Uh, there is a company that literally makes uh, Doctor Who audios constantly all the time with the classic actors. And I used to buy these up, especially in the wilderness years. I don't anymore because they've been doing this. They've been churning these things out now for getting close to two decades. And it's just it's reached the point where 
I am so painfully aware that Doctor Who is a format now. It's starting to hurt. So it's just I just engage with the TV show. Is is that the case? I mean, when, when I say we, we've done it all before and you say, well, well, there's murder mysteries and, you know, there's there's only so many people that's going to there's only so there's so many ways it can turn out to be the butler. You know, uh, you know, the, the formulas of murder mystery exist in of themselves and no one is bored of them. And that's very true. Uh, at the same time, it's like we've reached a point now where the mystery of this, you know, there's only so many times you how can I put this? It's it's a case of when people watch the Orville, they are saying things like, oh, this is like episode way back when. In uh. fact, the, the, the crew of the discovery, the crew of the discovery, the, the, um, the, the, the production crew of discovery hired a set of fans specifically to make sure that scripts didn't repeat something that had been done before in the past or really had a new spin on it. You know, then you, you can't have, you can only so many alien computers at the center of the planet controlling everyone's minds you can get away with, you know. I think you're, I mean, I think your Doctor Who example is perfectly correct and I would refer for uh, salve and balm of this phenomenon uh, you to my Marvel Comics problem, which is exactly the same as your Doctor Who problem. Uh, they've been writing those since the 60s. There is no way in my life I am ever going to read all the Marvel comics that exist. Apart from anything else, I can't get ROM Space Night because it's held in some licensing hell where I'd have to kind of pay many to get original issues. Oh, it's just not going to happen. Okay? So what the Marvel fan has to do, therefore, is go, well, I'm not going to try and get everything because that's kind of like reading the Necronomicon. That way madness lies. I'm just going to pick out things that I think I should read and do that. And I think that's pretty much the same with the Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that's a big disadvantage with the Doctor Who audio plays, I find, because I'd love to listen to some of that, like they did the John Hurt ones that they did. Mm. I'd love to listen to those. Well, essentially, when I do listen to the audios, we're going to talk about Doctor, Doctor Who now on a Star Trek show. This is how I derail things, everybody. Uh, because <laughs> the things we like, we because the things I focus on are Paul McGann, and the limited John Hurt series that we had, because that yeah. is literally the only place we can find those Doctors. The problem is that with old Doctors is that they had their, they had their eras, they had their time, and then they were yeah. done. And so now we have these zombies just going on ad infinitum. There's never going to be an end to them until the, until the actor sadly passes away. I think that's a very... Yeah, I think you're right. Exactly right there. Although, I have to say, personally, I would probably... If I'd gone through all the John Hurt ones and all the Paul McGann ones... Uh, well, maybe not all the Paul McGann ones, because there's quite a lot of them, but enough that I got a good rounded view of Paul McGann. I probably the next protocol would be poor old Sylvester McCoy, who got a bit shortchanged. You see, that's where I would go. I would always give preference to the Doctor who didn't get the best representation uh, elsewhere. Sixth Doctor, Sixth Doctor is the one that went big on audio. Yeah, so there we go. So that's that's fine. I mean, but anyway, again, yeah, back to Star Trek, everybody. Back to Star Trek. Um, uh, yeah, was, but the, again, when was heyday? Sorry, when was this heyday? Uh, it was big in the 60s. It was it became a cult in the 60s, but I think 90s with Next Gen was when it... I mean, it was it was always... it was start, The original Star Trek is fully absorbed into popular culture. Seriously. that That's that's always going to be its return to text okay, when, it, when so it finds itself in the wilderness. If I but could just I think, uh, throw a spanner into your words, I think I want to interrupt you here because this is... A, 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 there are some people, unkind people, evil people, people that we don't know or want to talk to, of course... Who would have an answer to the question, when was peak Star Trek? Is like, uh, like 1982, that's when 
That's when that film came out, isn't it? That's when we about that then. Wrath of Khan. That's it. That's it. That's it. But that's basically where the the high point of Star Trek is. Well, no, it's I very think, I think easy. Rath- I think Wrath of Khan is a key text in Star Trek, and it's it's so good it stands up just as a story on its own. Uh, but it's left a bad legacy. Not just people aping. You know, they essentially remade Wrath of Khan twice. Uh, not only that, but also in the latter day Star Trek films, like I say, Star Trek is quintessentially there was a problem. Um, sometimes there was a villain of the week and Kirk would get his shirt ripped fighting him. Uh, but quintessentially, it's about solving something with your mind. You figure something out. The the only Star Trek film that's about solving a problem is Star Trek Four. I suppose the first one as well. Um, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, which is the one which is much beloved by the casual viewer, and I think is the most Star Trekky of the Star Trek films. By the way, Vathor uh, Khan also gave us the dearth of the latter day Star Trek films, in which there is some villain with a big ship who has a plot for revenge, and in some ways that was that was kind of an antidote Star Trek episode that you enjoyed at the time, and then it's back to there's an evil machine at the center of the planet controlling everyone's mind the next week. I see. Well, that, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, I guess the elephant trap of the question about peak Star Trek then is that Star Trek has peaks and troughs, and sometimes the peakies, the peaks are a bit troughy. Like the idea of like continually going back to a problem that you're going to solve. But there's also like Wrath of Khan in itself, despite being a peak of content, is a trough of the central content. It betrays the concept in order to kind of provide a sort of light and shadow to the the sort of overall Star Trekness of it all. But then the problem is when that uh, uh, that kind of thing becomes too strong, then you end up with uh, well Nemesis um, or or indeed into darkness so yeah there's the dark shadows of that one glorious moment of accidental hitting you know everything on the right star trek star trek just can't have a black hat villain it can't they've always got to belabor these villains and try and make them interesting. Star Trek Nemesis, you have these people who just want to live forever and their skins are being held together for all the cosmetic surgery they're so fascinating insurrection insurrection sorry Nemesis uh, yes, is uh, the one with Tom Hardy ne- pretending to be Khan. Nemesis is, with, yes, is, is a, cl- a card of clone who's got some psychological issues because he's a clone yeah. of the card. Uh, and so they've always got to have these nuances to them. Oh, you know, Romulus got destroyed. That's why he wants to destroy the Federation. And it's like, no, just give us a black hat villain who wants to take over the universe. We, we've got discovery happening right now. Of course, we can't be discovering new puzzles. Uh, well, actually, we do have a bit of a central puzzle going on. I must give them credit for that. Um, but we have the overarching war going on with the Klingons. Yes. And it's like, oh. Uh, Oh, it's not really Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> uh, the question is right, because we have these peaks and these troughs. We have what we've had as content peaks, e.g. Wrath of Khan, and uh, content troughs, e.g. Star Trek Nemesis. But then you have also this uh, Star Trek peak, you've got the concept peaks and troughs. Now, Wrath of Khan is not a concept peak, and neither is Nemesis. Um, but it's also not a content trough. There's this idea that sometimes Star Trek is not... Which leads to this question, are the owners of the Star Trek franchise ashamed of Star Trek, do you think? Uh, No, I think they want to make lots of money from it, and there's a feeling that it might be bankable, but for every time they try, they they might might have a little bit of a peak at the beginning, but then the diminishing returns kicking very hard. But Uh, I present for your uh, consideration... Enterprise, the Star Trek for people who don't like Star Trek? 
is that is that seriously how they they might have marketed it that way but it wasn't a reflection of what the series was about oh was... no no they wanted to just get suckers through the door by pretending it wasn't like star trek and just... because i've got to say that they're you know well so i mean it 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 plays a lot with the uh past continuity i mean a lot of things are drudged up when you know it's like do you know what the founding races of the federation are leo there's a definitive list of the founding races, and we were we were meeting them one by one in Enterprise. <laughs> and you don't know, and you don't care, but we had to go through that rigmarole Enterprise, didn't we? Well, yeah. So Enterprise, kind of, that was a marketing. Oh, it's Star Trek, but it's not like that sad, geeky Star Trek. We've got a rock song for a theme tune now, and then it was just Star Trek, sort of, but not very good. Yeah. Then we move on, and we get Abrams' track. Yeah, now that's Star Trek for people who don't like Star Trek. In fact, many of the internet arguments I've seen are about, yeah, that movie was pretty good. What are you talking about? It was just people fighting and blah, blah, blah. And it's not about thinking. It's just an action movie now. And but it was good. And what have you got against entertainment? I've just summarised the whole. There's massive, like, volumes, like a ten-volume set well, of arguments about Star Trek on the internet. That, that kind of... The the thing I can get behind is kind of is, is, is listen don't listen to the fans fans are never going to make you money in the long run you've got to reach for the wide audience and Star Trek fans will pretty reliably turn up uh, make a quality product first um, I, I think you know the core concept of hey you know when people think Star Trek they think Kirk Spock McCoy let's do Spurk Spurk. 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 You're doing that shipping thing where you just smoosh their names together. Well, I want to actually read out this slash fiction I've made, actually. <laughs> uh, I've just cut, I've edited like out about 45 minutes of stuff that would have melted your brain at this stage. And I'm just, I just wiping down my off. desk. <laughs> Anyway, right, let's move it's, on. And, uh, so we turn off the holodeck, and then we come back to the podcast. Um, uh, so getting back to those core characters and recast them again, because so much time has passed anyway, and goodness me, these men now are, are, are very, very, very old and dead. So and um, we get back to the quintessential cast, and let's just have more rollicking adventures from the original series. This is so good. And the problem was they didn't do that. Sure, the first thing is kind of like set everything up. Okay, we accept we have to set everything up. In the first, it's all in place. It's all in place now after the first film. We can just go have more adventures with our classic characters and we've solved the continuity issues because it's a separate universe. So we can just do what we like. And then they do a complete and utter rehash of stuff we've all done before, thinking the fans are going to go mad for this. And oh boy, they went mad all right. Um... And because we have a Wrath of Khan remake. We didn't want to see Wrath of Khan again. We saw Wrath of Khan the first time. It was great. It's Star Trek. Go to a new planet and find me a new insane computer. What's wrong with you people? Uh, and so we have an extra... Also, the thing was there was such a long break. They made Star Trek and then they put it on a shelf for like a year before they released it in, in 2009. Then there was another epically long break. It was, it, it was a very cold iron by the time they came back in with this Greatest Hits CD. And then we have another long break, and we finally kind of get to, let's say, something that approaches a brand new Star Trek episode where we go somewhere we haven't gone before, find a new planet, new races, new problems. Everyone's so kind of turned off. Uh, it, it's just kind of... Yeah. yeah, I Star Trek Beyond, I remember the buzz about that being... Anyone who was kind of forced to go and see it, you know, like film reviews and stuff were like... No, man, you should totally go and see this. It's actually really good. But people were like, oh, 
really? Uh, we, haven't we done this? Wasn't that over? Uh, and I remember, I mean, the thing is, what's interesting is now, when we started doing the podcast, that was when Into Darkness came out. And there was this thing, oh, I'm really excited for this. Oh, it turns out it's very disappointing. You know, and that's... that. This is what kind of feeds into this idea that as much as the owners of Star Trek want to make money out of it, they're not embracing Star Trek. They just like shuffle well, it out no. to do a dancing monkey I, act. Every I time. think I think I think what went wrong was that they they kind of viewed the source text literally as as that. Um, they they kind of it's like it's like Sherlock uh, came up, which is. We had Bamba Cumberbatch in, in both those iterations as well, which makes a, a lovely link between the two things. Uh, Sherlock is all about reinterpreting the old stories in a, in, a, in a modern light, and the excitement comes from what's their new spin on this thing. So essentially, Star Trek in the Darkness is their new spin on the episode Space Seed from the classic series. So it was like, it was like they were excavating classic episodes and what new spin can we put on this to drag it out for a whole for a whole film it's like we didn't really want that particularly we, we wanted you to go off and have your brand new regions they, they were seeing it like you know what what source things go like the remake of Battlestar Galactica you have to go find the Pegasus at some point everyone kind of felt like they had to do that uh, and so they did um but it's like it wasn't the approach they should take with the new Star Trek we, we don't it's, need to yeah yeah it's really kind of awkward now because you can because they thankfully didn't go New Star Trek 1, New Star Trek 2, New Star Trek 3. They didn't call it that. They called it Star Trek Star Trek Into Darkness, which we can just ignore now because it's not got a number on it, Star Trek Beyond. And as far as I can work out, nothing in Beyond. You could go straight from Star Trek to Star Trek Beyond and you're fine. Yeah? yeah. The thing about it is, though, that means you've got these two movies and the Beyond is very good at being like a follow-on to Star Trek in that classic, uh, that classic mold of it just being a thing that happened one time, and then you could have a third one or a fourth one or whatever. There's, there's even a puzzle they have to solve in it. It's great. Yeah, so that's great. Yeah, the thing about that is, from the point of view of the movie producers, it's like. Yay, we had an unexpected success. Now we have to scramble like Billio to get a sequel made. Uh, we weren't really expecting that. I mean, for God's sake, they shelved the original one for a year. That tells you how much they were like, yeah, this will make some money. They weren't. They thought this is going to die like on its butt. And so then you get it and it's like surprise success. So then they're like, well, now we have to get everyone back together and make a sequel. Oh, God. And then it takes years, four years to get a sequel. In an age when I'm going to see, you know, already we're going to see two Marvel movies a year. They've completely screwed the pooch now because this year it's like Black Panther and Avengers and Ant-Man and the Wasp plus a Deadpool movie, which isn't really part of the MCU. But hey, it's Deadpool. So what do you want? And X-Men. You know it's been two months since I've seen a Star Wars film. I hope there's another one coming out uh, before the middle of the year. Exactly. Yeah, so everybody's doing them at least one a year now. And I'm sure that Star Wars is actually going to step up because it's now owned by Disney uh, at some point when they've got their act together. Yes. But it's, it's well, it just shows you how long it takes for you to get your act together. The fact that they're kind of dragging their heels and haven't really 
pushed forward. But then suddenly you hear all in the ether these rumours about this group of people, they're going to make a Star Wars trilogy and this guy, he's going to make a Star Wars trilogy. And that's where their long-term plan is going, that eventually we will have a Star Wars universe that's the same as the Marvel universe, where we get another thrilling instalment every four months. Which is fine by me, uh, but Star Trek, Star Trek hasn't been there. In fact, with Beyond, they uh, kind of think they get very much the impression that they shuttered up shop and that was it. That's your new Star Trek trilogy. We're going home now. Thanks a lot. Uh, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Please don't drink and drive. Yeah, and that's it. And you're like, uh, okay, you had a thing, and then you. And of course, what we got instead is uh, what I like to call, and what uh, nobody else is calling. Star Trek Disco. It does have uh, okay. a disco in one of the episodes as okay. well. So that's okay, quite... Leo. I'm going to give you a huge budget. And you are tasked with... You can go make a new Star Trek series. Uh, it, it can be about whatever you like. Uh, let your imagination run riot. It's yours to sculpt. Uh, one condition, it can't look like any Star Trek that's previously been on TV ever. At all. No uniforms. Phasers. The ship designs, the way Klingons look, uh, maybe even the Klingon language. Who can say? All these things are, are separately copyrighted due to the utterly bizarre way the Star Trek franchise is arranged. I think it's simply because the company oh, that owns know this. the company that owns Star Trek got bought by another company, and this company then separated. So currently, all the rights to the original uh, rebroadcast repeats of the old stuff is held by one person. If you want to make new Star Trek, you have to license making a new Star Trek from this one branch. But all the all the uh, all the uh, branding of how Klingons and Romulans and things look is all held by the people of the original series, which will have to be a separate license, more expense on top, which is why the Abrams movies look completely different. That's why we have a completely redesign of the, of the Star Trek Enterprise in the Abrams universe, because he couldn't just copy the old one and tart it up. Um, you know, this is why we have the disco lights. <laughs> I, I, in many ways, I'm fine with a certain respect to the redesign. I mean, a lot of fans are like their heads are exploding about how can Discovery be just be 10 years before Kirk? Why isn't our ship made of Dago plastic? And why don't we have like midget gem suites stuck all over the cons console for buttons? I'm fine with that because that was how Star Trek was. The original series was how Star Trek was, was imagined in the 60s. Next gen with their touch, everything ha having no hard edges, everything smooth and having touch screens everywhere. That was how we imagined the future in the 90s. And this is how we kind of imagine the future in the present days. I'm kind of, I'm kind of fine with that change in style it well, doesn't you're not being postmodern enough there Ian what they're actually doing is imagining uh, our future but Star Trek's past in a way that uses a modern production aesthetic to model something that came before something which was originally new in the 60s without incorporating any of those things which would make it look dated but I mean it's this idea of having things on metal stalks that kind of grow up and then have buttons all over them you can see that there's some uh, production designers on disco who think yeah we have to kind of throw this idea that we want it to look like well in the 60s they couldn't really do what Starfleet looked like in the contemporary because of the production limitations but essentially you have to reimagine well essentially disco is 10 years before the abrams films which completely makes sense but if you look at those two production aesthetics uh, no uh because the abrams universe because that's this is this, this is the prime timeline we're in now uh, allegedly i mean the fans have conspiracy theories going on it also has been observed they could have just said it you know at some point after next gen 
maybe even 80 years after Next Gen. It didn't really matter. And it, no one would have cared. No one well, would yes. have known. This is one of the things that boggles, that bakes my brain, yeah, is... We have, we seem to be incapable of going past in Star Trek's prime timeline. The point at which Voyager got back from the whatever quadrant. Oh no, no, it's it's worse than that. The end of the timeline is Star Trek Nemesis. So does Nemesis happen after Voyager then? Yes, because Janeway talks to Captain Kirk. Uh, Captain Kirk, Captain Picard. She she's an admiral and she communicates to Picard. So she's got back by then. So this is Nemesis, the destruction of Romulus is the last thing in the timeline. And of course, because Romulus gets destroyed, so-and-so goes, Nero goes back in time to create the Abrams timeline. So it's like, huh? Uh, and now your head has exploded. Uh, okay, fine. Look, my, I don't really care. Uh, all <laughs> no. I'm saying is, all I'm saying is that in the future future, if we go further into the future than the future future we've already thought, then your production problems disappear like yes, dew in the yes. morning. And yet, for some reason, they've decided to do 10 years before something that was made in, like, 1967 or whatever it was. And therefore, thing there is a bit of a jarring problem. The other thing that they've done is that they've gone, well, because it's literally 10 years before everyone's friends, okay, except for the Klingons, who are having a Cold War, we're going to make that Cold War a real war, and we're going to make people... In who were ten years before everybody kind of gets along, but bickers occasionally. We're going to make them all into weird kind of. Is it even a are they even a hero? Are they more just a protagonist? They're kind of a villain. They kind of and and the the Federation is that necessarily a good thing? I mean, Gene Rodenry's answer to the question is the Starfleet Federation a good thing? The answer is yes, but the answer in Discovery is mm, you know. They're maybe a little bit dodgy. We know we, we don't like politics of utopia anymore. We don't live in that world anymore. And these people won't be living there for, hey, a decade. So let's... It's like... We're, uh, I mean, yeah, even I... I am getting along with Discovery. I've quite liked what I've seen so far. It got to a place where I, li I liked the mud episode, particularly with the time loop. That felt very at home to me. But... On the other side of that, it's just this welter of confusing decisions. Like, why did you set yourself up to fail like this? That's my question. It, it, it is very hard to know what the series is supposed to be about. I mean, I, at the point of viewing now, I'm currently lost in, in, in the mirror universe, which is, a, which is a thing for Star Trek fans. I'm not sure how the casual audience feels about spending a few episodes lurking around there. And it's, 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 it's hard to factor Fine in. Fine, as long as you can grow a beard, apparently. Yeah, that's true. Uh, alternate universes, let's all have, have, have moustaches and eye patches. Yeah, it's, it's hard to define what this series is supposed to be about. I, the observation has been made, and I agree with it. It should have started with episode three and then just dealt with the backstory later because it's hard to like Michael at the beginning because of the actions she takes in the first few episodes, uh, which just make her look utterly unhinged and responsible for the start of a war. And then you go into the series proper, and we, we kind of like Sorok, I think his name is. We kind of like him. We kind of like the roommate. She seems like a nice person. But the engineer guy is a, is, is a bit of a knob. Uh, the captain is actually a, a psychopath, uh, a highly uh, mentally damaged man who's, who's obviously going to turn evil at some point and need to be taken care of. Are we going to have the act of a series two, do you reckon? It's even money, isn't it? Um, 
and, and so it's yeah. like you're all kind of dicks and there's a war going on and it's miserable oh and, and also the I, I as I say, I don't want our podcast being absorbed into the into the cultural blancmange of the time. But it's like, did you really want to make a Trump parallel? Do I seriously want to be reminded of all the miserable things in life in my escapist entertainment? Yeah, I think that's uh, you've made fair points there uh, all the way along the, the road. What I'm asking, I think what we're asking, and I think this is a good question, is are fans of Star Trek? Being short-changed? Uh, yes and no. I mean, to a certain extent, of the thing that they love, they have a very large repertory of, of things to go and enjoy in their past. Um, so it's not like they can't say they didn't have their day. Uh, in, in terms of moving forward, it's very hard to say. I mean, redesign Klingons. How, how do you feel about that as, as kind of a non-fan? Is that like a non-issue for you, that they the radical redesign? Sue, uh, I'll just say what Sue said to me, which is, why do they all talk in Klingon all the time? I, I, it's not that she doesn't like subtitles. It's just like that particular thing really bugs her, and I know that it's kind of a verisimilitude thing. It but, was kind um, of, it was kind of assumed that when know, Klingons were on their own, they did talk in Klingon. It's just that their audience was human. <laughs> and for, think, yeah, think, think, exactly. like it was dubbed. Um, yes, but that, then that's, yeah, yeah I think uh, that's uh, where everything shortchanged. It's it's very it's a very hard puzzle to solve. Uh, at the time of the Abrams, I was like, just bring back a series. It's Star Trek Strong Suit. And now we've got a series again, and you were like, ho, 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 how would you feel about them words now, Ian? And at the same time, I was going, well, I think they've taken a few bad angles here. But at the same time, going, they should have done the Orville but played it straight is not what I'd want them to do either. Uh, as much as all I can really say is set it after the next gen timeline if you want to distance yourself from the geopolitics of the next gen universe 80 years is a good number next gen took 80 years arbitrarily to space itself from the original cast why not just do it again give ourselves a blank slate and the galaxy is a big place we can find a large enclave we haven't properly poked around in yet uh, but there's like well, that poor old Gamma <laughs> Quadrant, for example. When does that get any oh, action? Yeah, I think it's. I think it has. That's DS Nine. It's the Dominion, mate. We've done all the quarters. We've done the quarters, mate. The thing is, Janeway took one very narrow path through it. The one thing I did like about about Voyager was you would encounter an alien race, and you encountered a few times for some episodes after that, and then it would go away, which is what it would do if you were travelling somewhere in a definitive straight line. Um, so, but you know, she only had one narrow line. So there's plenty of like. And other governments and things and weird planets with computers in the center of them controlling everyone's minds that you can go find. So, you know, and what's more, just do what what Stargate did. Let's all go to Andromeda, everybody. Whole new galaxy. Uh, yeah, I, um, I have to say, I think I could put a definitive answer on the question of whether Star Trek fans are being shortchanged. And my definitive answer is... I believe, honestly, as someone who's standing slightly to the side of this phenomenon, they definitely are. Because we're living in an age, as I said, where I, as a Marvel fan, get three movies a year, and that's what I'm getting. Um, and uh, people are getting, like, Doctor Who fans are getting New Who served up. And even when it goes away, they're being promised more New Who at some point in the future, when it comes back, it's always this, you know, it's always who. At some point, it's who, even if it's 
not always who, even if it makes some wrong steps. The format of the show is that robust that it can always come home again. We're getting one Star Wars movie a year at the moment. That's going to step up. Uh, and even if star people go into boiling, melting rage about it, Star Wars is actually in rude health. I'm sorry, but it is. Star Trek is not in the best of places. It's the one franchise, big franchise, that's like, it, we haven't got, there's no hope. Where well, is the um, hope okay, for Star uh, Trek fans? Classically, everyone, everyone knows Star Trek had to, Star Trek Next Gen had to grow its beard. And certainly the fans say, by the time you get to the third season of Next Gen, it's really hit its stride. And it has a peak. And then, it, But for you, because you've really watched, because Voyager was something I dipped in and out of. Um, I can't say I've seen every episode, but I'm aware of its overall story. But for you, who who lives with someone who loves Voyager, when did Voyager hit its stride? When did it grow its beard? Not until season three. Seven of nine. Because... <laughs> it's not. It's not just seven of nine, though. It's also yeah, because what they did was. Like, the whole Kez thing goes in a really weird direction where it's like, nah, this is getting uncomfortable now. And it's nothing against the actress who played Kez or the character of Kez particularly. It's just that they realised suddenly, this is a little bit dark for the show. Well, to be fair, at the beginning they couldn't know this because they were doing all that stuff about, well, we've, we've only got three photon torpedoes and... We've only got like 23 Dairy Lee triangles for the whole way home and all this stuff. And then they went, ah, the replicator will make more Dairy Lee triangles. Oh, and photon torpedoes, but mostly Dairy Lee triangles, you know. And when they suddenly realised we're going back into this idea of fluffy utopian having a problem to solve, the whole idea of a creature that only lived 10 years that was going out with a weird gonky chef and was going to then turn into some weird chrysalis thing that turned out... It was like, this is too much for this show, so they kind of got rid of it. But having a cuddly Borg, that's fine. We'll go with that. Yeah, that's a, The show takes a while to find its elements, I think. I mean, you don't like the scientist in Disco, the one who runs the spore drive, the, the, the guy who's in the uh, patented Let's Bust Some Barriers uh, team Star Trek, busting barriers all over the place, gay relationship with the Doctor. I love that guy. I, he's yeah, he's definitely unhinged, but yeah. I love him. I, I think he's got. At first, I thought he was awful, but then within three episodes, I was like, he's really great. I like this guy, even though I don't appreciate his spiky tone sometimes. I like him, and it's like that. That's what they need to find all the time. It's where you like the people that you're watching, and I think it came to the conclusion that Kez was too difficult to love. Too nice. Well, I don't want their short lifespan. The episode I found kind of creepy is one of the ones where they do the ones where they leap into the future. And I think she'd married Tom and had a daughter. And that daughter was marrying oh, Harry God. Kim or something. And that, that's really weird. Dude, she's like six years old. <laughs> well, this is exactly my point. That character's whole concept was just a recipe for being uncomfortable and then the, the way they got rid of her was turned her into a psycho who was completely evil it's like oh no man this is like yeah okay and then you know i think star trek even at its best it's like i'm saying content and concept peaks and troughs 
there's characters like Chakotay who never really got a peek. You know, well, he was they, all they couldn't decide the who down. was romantically entangled to. Is it Jane? Right? <laughs> it's ended up being seven and nine by the end of the series. But you don't get the yeah. feeling they hung around together as a couple after after the series ended, do you? It's really strange. Um, no. Yeah, Harry Kim this... was like, you know, he, he he won an award for being one of the most handsome men on television. I think that's the reason he stayed on. So, I think that this all brings us to a point where two portly chaps on the internet look at all that there's gone before and say, bearing in mind the strength or the growth of Star Trek, who, Marvel, yada, yada, yada. I mean, yeah, let's put on, let's put on a happy face. At least Star Trek fans aren't being treated like, you know, Batman fans at the moment, you know. So, call it an upside. But in order to fix this mess, what should Star Trek... What should Star Trek do? What would be a good step for Star Trek? It's a really hard question, because I'm not entirely sure how to fix this. I think, in some respects, I think they've just got to keep on hammering away at Discovery until they find something that really works and carry on with that. It's like Farscape when it started out wasn't particularly good. It reminded me of Space Precinct when it first began. But then at some point at season three, it became crack cocaine to me. And I think in some ways, Discovery just has to bumble around, try new things. And then at some point, they'll discover a cool take on things that they can riff for a good long while. That we can sit back and go, oh, it was kind of about this in the end. Didn't that happen? Well, yes, they discovered they had a holodeck. <laughs> Oh, okay, fair enough. I, I I don't know anything about Enterprise at all, but oh I no, Ent- Enterprise, that it got sorry, a lot yeah, Enterprise again. Um, Enterprise, it got us. It got it. The the third series was about going into a very particular place to stop something that was happening, and that was a very hostile environment. and was kind of an arc. Uh, the fourth season, which I haven't really watched a lot of, but the fans are very well disposed to the fourth series of, of Enterprise. Uh, so. Yeah, so I mean, I think what you're saying in summary is that Star Trek takes a while, any format on television of Star Trek takes a while to find its feet. Weirdly, this is mirrored in the Abrams verse by, oh, well, we're just going to set things up in this one. It's not really going full pelt because we have to do revenge fueled Romulans. <laughs> then they do a terrible error and go off into this complete tangent that is just so much all the bad things. And then beyond they're kind of like, ah, this is where well, it's starting to pick up. And now they stop and said the movies are exactly the same. You know, as you know the original Star Trek had to have two pilots. Um these things take a while to find the feet. Thing is, um we like the characters, we like the fact they're friends. And um, thing is at some point when you, when you create a series, you're kind of making it in darkness and you're thinking of what the characters like and you're writing scripts and, the, and, and, and you're casting actors. It's much better when it's a series that's underway and you know who the actors are. You know how they sound and talk. You kind of know what their strengths are. Actors themselves can communicate more of the kind of things they want to do. So the act of doing, you get better at doing the thing that you, you, you're, you're at. Um, so so in, in some ways... I th- I, it's, maybe it's worth looking forward to a season two of Discovery um, when when they, they will know who their cast is and what they're good at. Yeah, I think that you've done... I mean, if I look at things where they've managed to do something a bit more successfully out of the gate, 
Buffy, weirdly, is the only thing I can think of where they had an ensemble from episode one and that ensemble kind of pulled itself together in fairly short order. But if we look at other monsters of uh, <laughs> franchise television, Stargate SG-1 had two characters they already had from a movie, so they knew that those guys would be fine together. They added in two more characters and made a four-way dynamic, and that was fine. Supernatural, similarly, they had Sam and they had Dean, and everybody else was kind of like a we're passing through kind of character, and they slowly grew it into the more ensemble uh, direction they've gone. And they've also had a really good mechanism for bringing people in for a bit and then letting them go. Essentially, the, it seems that the idea of having like seven or eight characters straight from the get-go that you have to introduce and get them all to spark off each other is the disaster that Star Trek stumbles into, you know, every goddamn time. Even with this... Dis even with Disco, where they tried to do a couple of the characters, and then... But the problem was, episode three, everybody's there. They're all there, straight away. There's no slow part to that. It's like a f movie followed by, and then everybody's straight there. The I think that the big ensembles really only work in sitcoms. I think when you've got world building to do, and all of this kind of stuff, you can't just go straight in with here's eight people or if you do you have to get round your head but it's not going to be great all the time i mean that's the the point so th this is a bit of a tricky problem for star trek which is kind of based on the idea that you have this regular sort of crew of seven or eight people who are all interacting and doing this stuff i think that's a bit of a trick but somehow they well, have to get their head around that. i don't know about the casual audience and, and the way that start, this new star trek series is set up as far as the united states is concerned is really awkward because it's on sort of pay for uh channel service of which the, of oh which yeah the, of course that's which the only new well. content is star trek and everything else is reruns of things you've already seen uh it doesn't matter to me because it's all netflix as far as i'm concerned so that's lovely dovely um but the but the good thing about Star Trek fans is even when they utterly detest something, they will still watch it, pretty much. I mean, there's always some that will, uh, worst episode ever, I'm not going to watch it ever again. And there's some that will follow through with that. But pretty much they will see things through to the bitter end. So if it something get, gets good in Series 2, uh, they will go, oh, it's got good now. And things fans are forgiving. And once they're in, they're in. And uh, I, I think if it, if it, just, it just has to keep on going and find its stride, and then it will learn what it's about. Just like I think, well, yeah, I think. Well, my my final thoughts on that then are as follows: Star Trek is actually kind of lucky in that it is the only property I know that can legitimately turn around and say I've got form for the fact that you're going to make like nearly fifty episodes of me before <laughs> I get good, but then in the end the rewards will pay off. It's the only thing I know that could do that. Any other property, if it had got that far without anybody really liking it, it would be dead by that time. So, and I think this is possibly one of the reasons why the people who own the franchise or who are currently massaging the franchise into a state where it can be seen by an audience are kind of wary of it because that's a lot of 
dead stuff you have to plough through to get to the point where people are actually accepting of your properties on a repeated basis. But uh, if they solved the episode, if they solved that problem, if it was perfectly good and compelling viewing right off the off and everybody was embracing it, then surely you'd have a concept trough. You'd be like, well, it's not really very Star Trekky. I don't know. Maybe that's me. But that's where I think that's where the essential paradox of Star Trek lies in that it has to go through this. But surely that's horrendously inefficient. Well, my final final thoughts, thoughts? particularly in Discovery, as I reflect, I have a deep sigh about the Klingon War. Because it's like, I do, well, it's going to get solved peacefully, isn't it? Definitively so, because we know what happens later. You know. um, so <laughs> uh, in, in some ways, it's kind of like, you know, that Star Trek, this time it's war. We've never done that before. Um, uh, and um, the thing is, they've got the spore drive. Now, the, the spore drive is kind of a thing in the series because there's a war, so there's an urgency from performing with it. But honestly, just lead with the spore drive. It's interesting enough in itself or in terms of getting you to new and interesting places that warp your mind. Or you get up one day and, and suddenly it's medieval England, and everyone's, but everyone's somehow involved in the fabric of that society. Weirdness going on, which, which Star Trek does so well. So it's like the spore drive is, 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 is an idea with legs. Fighting the Klingons. <sighs> <sighs> So, Ian, if people are of the opinion that we don't know what we're talking about, which is honestly probably closer to the truth than we'd like to admit, and they want to tell us to leave their Star Trek alone and to allow them to indulge their own particular private fantasies about Star Trek, and aren't you glad I cut out that slash fic incident from earlier in the show, where might they go to say thank you, Leo, for not making us listen to what Ian was reading out about, uh, what is it, Spick <laughs> or... or, or... Or, or, or Burns, or whatever it was. Well, one place you could go to tell us this was the worst episode ever would be our Facebook page. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. But podcasts are what it's all about. And to find a full archive stretching back from the very dawn of time, all you have to do is point your web browser at the 80s kids and that's 80s as in word, dot blogspot.com. Once there, you'll be able to subscribe using the podcast aggregator of your choice or stream and download individual episodes direct to your PC for dark reasons of your own. If people want to subscribe directly to the Castleo, uh, how might they do that? Well, Ian, all they have to do is set up a new feed in their podcast aggregator and point it to feeds.feedburner.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers again. So eight. Zero S. If people are so impressed by the audio they've heard today, they would consider offering their support on Patreon to make the world of the 80s kids brighter still. They could check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash the 80s kids. And that's 80s the word. And we don't have a guest this week either. And in fact, we don't have any more shows in this season because this will be the last episode of uh, Revenge of the 80s Kids <laughs> Season 2. There will probably be a metasode coming up at some point shortly in which we will be talking about our new 
audio project but we've just told you where you can go to keep your ear to the ground on that particular project but for now from revenge of the 80s kids season two this is a wrap so i'm going to say Ta-ta. i'm going to say farewell and much like star trek we'll be better in series two we promise <laughs> yay well Season three, oh yes, it is season three. We've got season two, season three. It's all so complicated. Now that we do seasons, we have to learn to count. Uh, but there we go. That's one for the antics reel again. that the MCU has mirrored real life in a disturbing manner because uh, Iron Man 2 in 2010 is a sort of a tragedy of Tony Stark's at the top of his game and he falls from grace due to uh, interference from a shady Russian yeah and is exposed to be uh, you know just a frail human being with a little calculator that tells him how toxic his blood is and since then, the MCU has gone into this thing about why superheroes is a bad idea, why you can't trust the government, why everything is turning solidly to crap all over the place. And I'm like, that's really weird, because that's exactly the same as real life. Things weren't so bad in 2010 in the world as a whole. But over the time since 2010 up to now, things have slowly turned into a crap fest, and at some point... Trump will put the end jewel onto his infinity gauntlet and thankfully Captain America will beat him, maybe at the cost of his own life. That can't be a spoiler, I've obviously not seen the movie. Uh, and, and then hopefully the MCU will allow the universe to go, go back to being, the, the real, the MCU will allow the real universe to go back to normal, please. Thank you, because you have it's stitched together. It, when they say it's all connected, they mean wider than just a franchise movie. <laughs>